beautiful December day. And um, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it, either a uh, hard copy or a digital copy. It will also be on the screen. We are in week two of a series in the book of Matthew. We'll be working our way through the book of Matthew verse by verse and just seeing what Matthew is up to as he introduces people to Jesus. And so we're going to be starting today in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And so if you have a Bible, Jen's going to um, read this text for us this morning. This is what Holy Scripture says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it promises to accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. And Lord, thank you for sending it to us this morning. Lord, we pray that it would land on us with, with fresh ears. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be awakened. Lord, we pray that the proud would be humbled and the hurting would be comforted. For those of us that need to learn, I pray we've been in, we would be instructed. I pray that your word would, would land on us for the sake of the purpose that you have ordained it. God, I pray that you would use this word to help us to be conformed to the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's just start at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All right, so as we like to make a practice of, let's try to climb into the world of the text, right? Climb into the world of the text. And we learn here in verse 18 that Joseph finds out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant, now, we don't have a lot of details, but try to imagine, okay? Try to imagine. They didn't, they didn't live in a world of pregnancy tests, right? So Joseph might have had an experience kind of like this. You see this, this woman that you've been engaged to, and she's getting a little bigger around the midsection. Maybe she's just gaining a little weight. No big deal, right? But after a few weeks... Joseph really begins to wonder, like, like, could this be? No, no way. That, that can't be. I, I trust Mary. She's always been 
a trustworthy woman. But then after a few more weeks, it's unmistakable. There's no denying the fact that she's pregnant. And based on the information from this text, that would have been devastating. Why? Because it clearly says that the two of them had not had sex. That's verse 18, before they came together. So you can imagine, if you place yourself into that world, you can imagine what Joseph would have been thinking, right? It's clear Mary's pregnant. He's thinking, what kind of woman is this? Like, I, I thought I knew who she was, but now this, who, who's the other guy? Is there something wrong with me that she isn't telling me? Like, what else do I not know about her? I've had some assumptions about our relationship that apparently those aren't fair assumptions anymore. How did I not see this coming? How did I not know? What else has she been hiding from me? Betrayal, anger, confusion, broken trust. That's the world of Christmas. If you place yourself imaginatively in the world of the text, now think about it. How would you have responded? Well, we learn from the text that Joseph comes up with a plan. And the plan tells us a lot about who Joseph is. Now, Joseph never speaks in the Bible. I don't know if that ever occurred to you. But we can tell a lot about a man's character by the way he conducts himself. And that's what we see here. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, another word could be a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, if you were to think of yourself in this scenario a lot of us would probably vacillate between one of two options, fight or flight. And maybe those feelings of revenge would emerge, right? That might be a first response. You've done this horrible sin against me, so I'm going to get you back. That's human nature, right? Or it might just be fight or flight, Yelling and screaming or just like a quick retreat as far and as fast away as possible. That's what we do in our world, tragically. But the Bible says that Joseph here is a just man. He's a righteous man. What that means is he loves God. He loves God's word. Like the psalmist, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. And that was Joseph's experience. And even though he felt greatly sinned against, the Bible also says, though, that he didn't want to put her to shame. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means, historically speaking, divorce laws in that day were greatly weighted in favor of the man. A man could pretty much do what he wanted when it came to divorcing his wife. And I'm sure it happened that there were these public shamings. Like, we know what that's like with Twitter, right? They didn't have Twitter back then, but there was probably still public shamings where this woman has clearly sinned against this man in a sexual way and it gets made known and her, all of her 
indiscretions are brought before the public, and it's this deeply harmful thing. So that's probably why the Bible says this, because it's, it's, it happened. And Joseph said, I'm not going to do that to Mary. So he's just and he's merciful. He's just in the sense that if what he's thinking is true and that he had no other reason not to believe, um, it would have been just for him to divorce her. That's what the law of God would have said if she had committed adultery in this way. But at the same time, he's merciful. Very godly, right? Just and merciful. He's not going to heap it up on her. He's not going to try to try to like heap up shame on her in some disgraceful public way. So he says, I'm just going to keep it quiet. But again, let, let's climb into the world of the text. Joseph, if you put yourself in his shoes, this would have been agony. Think of what this would have been like for him. I mean, it's, it, there's the moment when he's wondering, okay, her body's changing. I'm wondering what's really going on here. Time continues to pass. He's still wondering. You get to the point where it's like, it's unmistakable. Okay, all the anguish of that. And then you got to figure out what to do. And I'm adjust, but I'm merciful. I don't know what the right thing is to do. Well, here's what I'm going to do. And all of that process, the Bible doesn't tell us how long that process was for Joseph. But you can imagine how horrible that would have been for Joseph. And here's the reality. Oftentimes, God's most precious, beautiful promises are fulfilled in the most challenging or horrific of circumstances. And Christmas is no different. Christmas is no different. Jesus' coming into this world is no different. So Jesus, I'm sorry, so Joseph clearly had to trust God, and he clearly does that here in this text because of what we find out in what happens next. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. So that gives you a clue into his emotions. All this fear is wrapped up in these last few weeks of him trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do in this scenario? And the angel comes and says, it's going to be all right. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. She's not some scandalous woman like you thought. Don't fear. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That's why. Well, God comes to the rescue. You know, it says here Joseph was considering these things. I think that's Bible speak for he's mulling over this really stressful situation. And the mental chaos of it all. We painted that picture. And God comes to the rescue, finally. Joseph probably wished it would have been sooner. But God's timing is perfect. God comes to him in a dream, speaks to him, and finally gives him relief from his anguish. And here's the essence of what the angel says. Joseph, it's going to be all right. Mary's not what you think she is. All this is the plan of God coming about in ways you can never imagine. Hold fast to your wife and do what good fathers do. What do good fathers do? As a sign of love and acceptance and authority, I want you to name this child, Joseph. But actually, God gets to name the child. And here's the name. His name is Jesus because Jesus means Yahweh saves. 
and Jesus came to save. That's verse 20 and 21. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because or for he will save his people from their sins. All right, so right here with this classic Christmas text, if you've been around church for a while, this is kind of a classic text for you. If you haven't been around church for a while, man, this should land on you with new ears this morning. Right here in this classic Christmas text, we've got a chance to pause and reflect on how we really think about Jesus. Like how we define Jesus. How we choose to relate to Jesus. Do, do we think of the Bible, or do we think of Jesus as the Bible instructs us? It's important this morning for us again to be reminded of the why. Why is it that Jesus came to earth? Why is Christmas so significant? What is Jesus all about? And this is a great time for us to pause and reflect. Another way to think about it would just be this. What's my motivation for being here this morning? Like, why did I get out of bed and come to church? Like, if church is just my hobby, like, there's way better ways to find a hobby on a Sunday morning than than going to church, right? Like, why am I here? What's my motives for being here this morning? See, this, this text helps sober us up to what Jesus is all about. And then it can help us diagnose our heart, right? So, so what does the text say? Verse 21. Well, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say that Jesus came to be our self-help guru. Like, I'll take some Jesus is, if he can just kind of help me figure out how to make my life better. It doesn't say that Jesus came to be a therapist. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll take some Jesus if, if he can make me feel better. Jesus didn't come just to be a simple moral teacher. Like, I'll just follow Jesus' rules if, if they kind of land on me and they kind of make sense for me. Now, of course, in a limited sense, he might make your life better. He might make you feel better. And his moral teachings are extremely important. But that's not why Jesus came in the first place. This text instructs us. Let me give you another one. Mark 10, 45. For, the, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. There's a reason. And what else? To give, to give, to give. Jesus came as a giver. To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came as a giver. So the question for us is, do we come as receivers? Like nothing in my hands I bring. I got nothing to give. I just have open hands. So these need to be filled with something because I got nothing. So if that's you this morning, that's, that's why Jesus came. You feel that? Is it clear that there's a sin problem in our lives that we need to be freed from? That's what verse 21 says. He will save his people from their sins. 
This is why you give him the name Jesus, because this is what he's all about. Jesus, the word means, the, the, the name means Yahweh saves. The Lord of all, he saves. And that's what Jesus is all about. He saves what? He saves from sin. He saves from the wrath of God that is the just and righteous penalty for sin. So if you know you're needy, if you know you have open hands, there's no like righteousness where I can say, here's some righteousness in my hand. Here's all of the good deeds that I've conjured up all on my own, my autonomous free will. And here they are in my hands and I've got them. God, here, you want to see them? Jesus says, well, I guess you've got the capacity to save yourself. So that's not why I came. Ultimately, Christmas isn't for you then. But if your hands are open and you know that you're bankrupt and nothing in my hands I, I bring, simply to the cross of Christ I cling, then according to 21, Christmas is for you. Jesus came for you. That's the best Christmas gift ever. Salvation from the prison of your sin that keeps you enslaved over and over again. If you know that, if you're in that position of desperation, Jesus says, hey, I came for you. I came for you. Many of you in this room already know this and have received this gift. So what's the response for you? The response for you is stand amazed anew this morning. Stand amazed afresh this morning. We're so forgetful. I'm forgetful. I need to be reminded. I show up at church reminded how needy I am and saying, tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me that gospel news again. I need to remember it. So if that's you this morning, man, stand afresh anew. Keep believing and then tell someone about it. Then tell someone about it. Stand afresh this morning. Keep believing as you're reminded and then tell someone about it. Some of you this morning may have heard this for the first time. Or you're not even sure like where you're at with Jesus. I'm not sure if, I'm, if, I'm, if I really understand it that way, that I got nothing to bring and he's got to accept me just as an offer of free grace, that I got nothing in my checking account, that I can't write any checks to God. He's just got to dump a whole bunch of money in my account as a free gift of grace and I just got to receive it. That's really what the Bible says. That's really why the Bible says that Jesus came. So that he could save you. You don't contribute anything to your salvation other than surrender. I will, I will receive this gift of grace and I will love you, Jesus, for it because I know that I need it. And then I'm going to trust you with my life. And I'm going to follow you because you're so beautiful for what you've done. Some of you can make that decision for the first time this morning if that's you. So if this text, verse 20 and 21, is true, that the way that the angel says that Jesus is to be named because of his purpose and function to save sinners from their sin, if that's true, and it is, then this morning is a great time for all of us to ask ourselves, how do we relate to Jesus How do we primarily relate to Jesus? Do we see him as a therapist? Do we see him primarily as a moral teacher? Do we see him primarily as a a self-help guru or maybe just a buddy? Seems like the main way we're called to relate to Jesus this morning is one, is, is as one who is a sinner and in need of a savior. And you can do that this morning for the first time or you can do that this morning for the 
thousandth time and just explode with thanksgiving because of what you've been reminded of again. And that thanksgiving is going to change your life. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. So Matthew now makes a comment about what the angel said. And he helps his first audience interpret this. And I love how he does this. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Which means God with us. So, like we talked about last week, Matthew is primarily writing to a Jewish audience about 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, Jewish people at that time, and some still to this day, greatly value the Old Testament. The Old Testament is authoritative, just like it is for us. It's authoritative, and we're going to listen to it. And so they viewed it as holy and authoritative. So what Matthew is doing here is something very profound. Very profound. He's taking this text, verse 23, and what it is is a, is a, is a quote from the book of Isaiah, written many centuries before this. And, and it's a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Prophets at that time spoke for God. Thus saith the Lord. Old Testament prophets were God's mouthpieces. We have God's word now they didn't have it in the same way back then. So they need authoritative mouthpieces back then. This is the authoritative mouthpiece today. But back then, they had prophets, these guys like Isaiah. And Isaiah came and he said, verse 23. And what Matthew is doing here is, is this. He's saying to his first audience that loves the Old Testament, remember Isaiah when he said this verse? I know you all remember it. About the virgin and she's going to conceive and bear a son, and the son's name means God with us. Yeah, guess what? That's happening right now. That is being fulfilled right now. Jesus is the fulfillment of that text that you know from way, way back. How amazing is that? It's being fulfilled in your midst. That's what Matthew's doing. God's word come to pass in real life. God is with us. So if you've ever wondered about the divinity of Jesus, all you have to do is open up to Matthew chapter 1. It's not a classic doctrinal text for this doctrine. Let's just talk a little basic doctrine right here because it, it's, it's beautiful in Matthew 1. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's classic, historic Christian doctrine. The Bible teaches it clearly. And, and yes, there is the mystery of the Trinity here. But the Bible does not blush. We can see it just in this text, implicitly and explicitly. Jesus is God. What did the angel say? Well, think about this. What did the angel say? Verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. Whose job is that? Whose job is that to save people from their sins? Thinking of the original audience. Right? The original audience, they just had the Old Testament. And now they got Matthew. But for them, they got the Old Testament. That's what they love. That's what's authoritative. So we could give you a thousand answers to that question of who is it that, that saves from sin. I'll just give you one. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This Old Testament, Psalm 130. 
revered by Matthew's original audience. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities. That's just another Old Testament word for sin. So sin's on the brain here. Sin's in the view. If you would mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? So he's talking to the Lord. The Lord translated uh, here, it, that means Yahweh. The God of the Old Testament. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. So it's, this is all about the Lord, right? This is the, the object here. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. That's another word for forgiveness of sin. That's another word of salvation from sin. And he will redeem Israel. That's another word for forgiveness and salvation from sin. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That's another word for sin. So from an Old Testament perspective, who saves from sin? The Lord. The Lord, the Psalm 130, the Lord is the one who forgives sin. The Lord is the one who can save from sin. Only God alone. But the angel said that Jesus is going to save people from their sins. Well, how does that work? Either Matthew's lost his mind or Jesus is God. That's a strong piece of implicit evidence that Jesus is God. But again, what does the text say? Where is it explicit? That was implicit. This is explicit. Explicit. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's pretty clear. God is with us. He's saying this child that is born receives a name that means God with us. He's telling his first audience and us this morning in 2018 that God has come, the God of all the universe, the God who stretched out the oceans and said this, this far and no farther and pulled the mountains out of the ground and said this high and no higher, that, that ordained the distance from the sun to the earth so that you could have life and breath. That God is with us. That's what Matthew's saying. He's not pulling punches here. Jesus is not just a self-help guru. He's not just a cosmic therapist. He's not just a wise moral teacher. Jesus is God in the flesh, come to earth to save from our sins. If there's anything you remember about Christmas, it's that. Jesus is God in the flesh, come to earth to save us from our sins. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. Let me, let me close with a, a word of comfort this morning. Because thus far, the truth of Christmas that we've been emphasizing is big, transcendent, cosmic, majestic, mind-blowing. Jesus is God, clearly taught in the text. But I want you to think about it this way as well. God is with us. He's not uncaring. He's not aloof. He's not far off. He's not dismissive. He's not indifferent. He's with you. He's with us. So maybe you're single and you're struggling with loneliness. 
we need to let this climb into our hearts this morning. Let it remind you that God is with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. God is with you. I say that on the authority of God's word. God is with you. Maybe you're facing something seemingly insurmountable this morning. And you feel so in over your head, man, I've been there more times than I'd like to name. i got to let this text climb in my heart and remind me that God is with me. God is with me. Maybe you're suffering in some profound way this morning and you just can't see your way out of it. It's just all doom and gloom from your perspective right now. And the message of Christmas is the most comforting message of all. God is with you. God is with you. He's not against you. He has not forsaken you. The authority of God's word says that he's with you. In some ways, this is the biggest way that God seeks to comfort his people in the Bible. And we wish it was that God would just make all of our problems resolved right away. And that's rarely what God does. But the promise over and over in the Bible is this. I'm with you in them. I'm with you in them. He came to Abram. And Abram had this massive call to be this blessing to the nations and to be used for, for, for a vision that he couldn't even dare calculate. And he's like, I got nothing. And, and God says, that's okay, I'm with you. And he, he raises up Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go do this, this, and this. And Moses says, there's no chance of that happening. And he says, it's okay, Moses, I'm with you. And, and Joseph, he's framed for rape, and he sits in prison for a number of years. God didn't just make that all go away. But the Bible says over and over that God was with Joseph. Even in prison, even being framed for a horrific crime. He says, I'm with you, Joseph. You look at the first disciples, the first church planters 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And they're in over their head with the Roman Empire, the most crushing, violent military power the world had ever seen up to that point. And they're called to plant churches and make disciples. And the glorious news from page one to the last page of the book of Acts is that God is with them. They suffer in it. God is with them. His purposes get accomplished because God is with them. He doesn't make their suffering go away. He just says, I'm going to be with you. How does that happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling them to do what God's called them to do. So it's not that all of our problems go away in a snap. That's actually never going to happen until the new heavens and new earth. But God promises the beginning of the book of Matthew Emmanuel, God is with us. And at the very end of the book of Matthew, when he gathers his disciples together, and he says, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, all nations, capital A, all, all of them. That's why we hang out in North Africa. That's why we hang out in Ecuador. That's why we plant churches in Madison. I want you to make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here it is. And behold, I am with you always. It's the bookends of the book of Matthew. The presence of God, he's with us. So let that comfort you this morning. Let that be a comfort at Christmas this morning. That God is big, he is God, Jesus is God, transcendence, Lord of all, the mystery of the incarnation, come to save us. If you know you need saving, if you need to be reminded of your salvation, man, this word is for you this morning, and he's promised to be with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for what you're doing in and through it this morning. By the power of your spirit, would you enact it such that we are overjoyed with our salvation. We are just stand amazed with thanks, thankfulness and thanksgiving. Now, thank you that you come to save. Thank you that you come to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.